Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Howdy and welcome to episode 50 Yay. of WikiShuffle. Five zero. Woot, 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 woot. Woot. Really? Woot. It's not like this 2003 is... anymore. <laughs> woot. The longest I've stuck with anything. What, the word woot? No, just this podcast. Oh, yeah, same here, by long distance. Yeah. 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 We've done well. And, <laughs> and the listeners have done well for persevering really this long have. as well. Yeah. Congratulations. So how are we celebrating? Oh, in all manner of ways. We're celebrating with a bumper episode mm. today, so we're going to make this episode a little bit longer than usual as a thank you or punishment for enduring punishment. this long. Well, we'll find out, won't we? And yes. there's some other special announcements. We've been trailing this for a while now, saying there's going to be special announcements. Mm. Part of me is worried that the announcements aren't going to live up to what we've no, promised. They're, they're pretty tame, to be honest. Aren't yeah, they? they are. So, what are we doing? For our 50th episode, you may have noticed, if you listen to us through Acast, the wonderful Acast app, uh, the people at Acast who host our podcast, that we have updated all of our artwork and that we're using their interactive features. So now if you're listening via the Acast app or through Acast.com, you will be able to click through whilst listening and get to any of the articles that we're discussing on Wikipedia. So you can read along with us to tell that we're not making it up. So interactive, so social. Oh, you said that in such a sexy voice. Yeah. Lovely. Twitter. <laughs> okay. 15. We, we've, we've, we've learned some things along the way about how to do really effective, on-the-nose, discreet podcasting. Mm. That's good. So, new artwork. We are going to be having some special episodes, special bonus <sighs> episodes. We've got a whole program of bonus episodes coming up. Mm. Our intention is for the year of 2016, we're going to be doing a bonus episode every month when we're inviting on special guests. <gasps> like who? Right. Uh, Brad Pitt's coming on. Is he? Yeah. Uh, Obama. Obama. <laughs> yeah. He's coming another on. podcast. Yeah. He's he coming enjoyed Mary no, that much. No, Michelle Obama. We couldn't get Barack. Oh, no. He was busy, so we just have to settle with Michelle. But that's fine. That's all right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not that good, is it? Well, it'll do. Yeah, we're not talking international megastars, unfortunately. But there will be special guest episodes coming up. So we're going to be doing one a month of people. Our pod chums will be coming on from other podcasts and friends of the show. And Basically just our mates. That's, uh, that's all yeah, it is. No, we're going to get... We're gonna, it, it, we'll build up. We'll start mm. off with, you know some people that we've met in the street and that we've hauled in against their will. But eventually, we'll be getting the big names in. Mm. It's only a matter of time before Clooney comes on. Uh, we have also, and we're recording this episode a little bit in advance, so I hope mm. that this statement is true. We should, by the time this airs, have our very own <laughs> Wikipedia entry. <sighs> That's a big wow. one. It is, isn't it? Because that means we can shuffle ourselves at, by accident at some point. Potentially. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Accidentally shuffle onto ourselves because we're going to have our own Wikipedia page. We are also going to be sending out postcards. Yes, and so I have a brilliant design. And I'll say that myself. It is brilliant. I'm not going to tell you anything more. 
No, you don't get a find out. There's only, I think only the people that get the yeah, postcard. Yeah, there know. is only one way for you to find out how mm. brilliant that postcard is, and that's to receive one. And there's only one way to receive one of those postcards. Give us your address. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have to send some posts to us. We and want postcards for our wall and give you the uh, the return address for that. Mm. So send your postcards to Wiki Shuffle HQ, 1B Headlands, Kettering NN157ER. And if you're listening on the Acast app, that address will appear at the end of the podcast as well, Ooh. so that you can see that. Um, Features, or, yeah. Twitter, Facebook. What else? Anything else? Instagram. Instagram. We're setting up an Instagram account. It's already there. You can follow it. Yeah, but don't because there's no content. Well, no, there will be no, content follow, follow by the time this is. Yeah, by the time this is this episode is out, you will be able to follow us, and we will be resuming the daily shuffle feature that we used to do on Twitter and haven't done for a while. But we're going to be doing that via our Instagram account, uh, which is just called Wiki Shuffle, or is it it's called Wiki Shuffle Pod? It's just Wiki Shuffle and Wiki Shuffle. And the other thing. No, that's it. Is it? We've run out of things now. That's okay. enough. It's only our fiftieth. We've got to keep something back for our hundredth episode. Mm, the naked calendar. <laughs> I've already started initial artwork for that. So. Great. Oh god, is it just mirror selfies? Yeah, a lot of mirror selfies. Another another, another meaning to the term hippocampus. When that comes out, I'm gone. We know that's not. Hippocampus won't die, will it? No, it, it never will die. I don't want it to die. No, it's not going to. No, much, no. much like all of Chris's weird I know. and Chris. <laughs> never die. I know that it annoys you so much that I want everybody to keep tweeting it. Just keep tweeting hippo things. In fact, if you can, just tweet a picture of a hippo to at Duke on Twitter. It'll be fun for please, me. Please don't do that. It'll be yeah, like being at school people that. posting pictures of hippos in my locker. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fine. You do what you got to do, mate. Yeah, well. I don't like that I'm the villain on this podcast. You are the villain. Because in real life, I'm really lovely. No, I don't. Yeah, all right, so. well, we'll, yeah. let, we'll let people think I that. am, though. You are the villain. I am, yeah. yeah. I'm playing up to it. I'm not, I'm not really like this. I'm a lovely guy. I love yeah. hippos. I've known you for Brilliant. a long time when you are the villain. Okay. In my real life, so. Okay. <laughs> this special 50th episode that we've got here, we've not actually done a very good job of introducing ourselves or explaining what it is that we do. Do oh. that. You're the host. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, but you're, I'm like the host who says hello and then you do all the important <laughs> That's how it works. Special announcements to one side. We're just going to do our usual shtick for the rest of this podcast, which is pressing the random article button on Wikipedia and then having a chat about whatever comes up. Victorian morning dolls. That's morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Oh, really it's sad. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? It's got the word Victorian yeah. in it. That kind of guarantees a level of creepiness. Mm. During the period from the late 19th century until early to mid-20th century, popularly known as the Victorian era, people typically used elaborate physical representations and rituals to mark the death of a loved one. Because deaths typically took place in the home, the body of the deceased was usually prepared for burial and often displayed for a period in the home. Why? 
because of the close proximity of death <laughs> to the home... No, this doesn't actually answer that question, but it, it would have been funny if it did. Because of the close proximity of death to the home and because of high morality rates for children and infants, children especially were often familiar with and exposed to death and dead bodies from a very early age. The Victorian age is a very horrible time. Any period no. is a very horrible time, except the last 50 years. Yeah. But in a way, do you not think that's a good thing to know all about death? Yeah, to know about it. Well, it depends because I think it's going to get pretty creepy and I'm not sure that I'm going to think that this is a good thing. By the late 19th century, it became customary to commission a mourning doll to lay at the grave of a deceased child. These became widely popular as a coping mechanism for families dealing with the death of a child. Just put that... Plaque or something. We've seen the first picture. Yeah. Mm, it's creepy. Go. Wax doll circa 1860. Hair on the doll would have been taken from the body of the deceased. That's very creepy. Child death. In Puritan New England, death was often discussed with children as a larger message about sin and the necessity of salvation to avoid eternal damnation. That's a bit harsh, isn't That's, it? Uh, it's making me appreciate that Teletubbies is coming back a bit more. Teletubbies coming back? Yeah. Apparently so. I don't know why I was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't watch it when it was first around. In the Victorian era, death was openly discussed with children, but in a more benign context. And children's stories often included death scenes and references to death, often with an emphasis on the joys of heaven and the inevitable reunion with loved ones there. So the Victorian age was just kill yourself now because it's so much better. No, you don't get into heaven if you kill yourself. Oh, to just put up with it. And then, you part with it until you die of some and of then it's going to be awful wonderful. Victorian disease. <laughs> yeah, don't have any fear of death. Want your life to be as short as possible, and then everything will be fine. Hmm. That's such a messed up message. Yes. While there were many practices <laughs> in lieu of remembrance, fifty episodes. Of, yay! <laughs> woot woot woot. While there were many practices in lieu of remembrance of a loved one after death such as post-mortem photography and mourning hair art, (laughs) grave dolls became a way for parents to create an effigy of a deceased child for remembrance. When a child died, it was traditional for families who could afford it to have a life-sized wax effigy of the child made for the funeral. The doll would often be dressed in the deceased infant or child's own clothing, and most of the deceased child's own hair would be used to make the doll even more realistic. This is creepy. It is, isn't it? Did either of you know about this? I've never heard of this. I knew that they took photographs of people. Mm. and dead people were in the photograph and they kept that but I didn't know that they made dolls and certainly not of their hair and with their clothes so you have to analyse the process that that must have gone through so somebody's Mm. job was to cut the hair of dead children it's weird isn't it that job. These wax dolls usually show the deceased lying in a coffin-like setting with their eyes closed to mimic a peaceful sleep. The back sides of the heads were made flat so the doll would lay nicely when laid out to rest. Uh, <laughs> <creepy>. <laughs> the effigy doll would be put on display at the wake and would then be left at the gravesite. But it is known from the effigy dolls which still exist today that in some cases these wax effigy dolls were kept. Wax effigies or of infants would be placed in a crib, their clothes would be changed and otherwise treated like a real baby. The bodies of these wax dolls would be clothed, weighted with sand to give it a more realistic feel when being held. Other times, the effigy itself would be framed. 
For older children, just the head and shoulders were created in wax effigy, also with the flat backsides so that they could be placed in a picture frame. Picture frame? Like on the wall? Fuck. And these, this would have been families that they wouldn't have just had one dead baby. They'd have multiple. So you'd have your dead baby wall with all <laughs> of your dead babies on it. <laughs> Wait, you got to catch them all. <laughs> that's horrifying. Well, the Victorian times, it sounds horrifying. But not that's really. particularly horrifying. This isn't that long ago, really, when you think about it. Yeah, no, it. it's not. That's, that's what's scary. Like children in workhouses and yeah. big hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, make an effigy of your dead child, put it on the wall. Don't do that. You'd be arrested, wouldn't you? Don't do that. These days you would. Yeah. You say it as if it's a bad thing. <laughs> Back in the day we used to have Political correctness gone mad. Blobfish. Ah. I just feel sorry for an animal called blobfish. I know what a blobfish is. Do you know, do you know what a blobfish I, uh, yeah, is? Yeah, I know what it is. They're not, they're not pretty. No. It's not a pretty animal we're talking about here. They look sad as well. Yeah. Uh, like they know what their lot is in life. And it's not to be anybody's spirit animal, that's for sure. You know, it's like, um, if you've ever seen Alien Resurrection. Yep. It's like that bit where the, they the find the baby weird alien. Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, <laughs> and they get that's, sucked that's out a hole. Fish. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm thinking before that. Like when they found all the Sigourney Weavers that went wrong. Oh, and then and she's like, oh, I'm a mess. Merged with. <laughs> <laughs> Sigourney Weavers really questioning her life choices. <laughs> so the blobfish, nobody's spirit animal. <laughs> uh, what, what would your spirit animal be, Jack? Hippo. I mean the aggression the massive mouths the propensity for water skiing (laughs) the poor dental hygiene no because you've got birds to help you out with that Mm. oh that's a good point yeah Yeah. Yeah. relatively good hippos Hippos are a massive killer (laughs) (laughs) yeah dangerous I was just I I just said that because of the hippocampus thing really yeah it's probably owl Owl, a wise yeah. owl. Wise. You're yeah. stalking at night. Yeah. <laughs> Your neck does that thing where it goes through a full 180. I do that. Yeah. Um, I tweet you, a lot. You, you, <laughs> yeah, good. They're more, they're more hoot. I hoot. No, I've got nothing. I've, I don't know. We should have prepared some funny animal joke. We did not do that. Well, let's see if Chris can come up with anything a bit more on uh, the fly. A parrot. A parrot. Just fun, chatty, flamboyant. <laughs> brightly coloured brightly coloured just fun to have fun to have around why you know but you you like you're not brightly coloured you just wear purple so you might be like it's a fun colour who's, who's that fella from McDonald's Grimace Grimace <laughs> <laughs> you're quite like Grimace you got the same face nah, and you've done... I've got the same face <laughs> the same face and the it same colour he doesn't have a, his face is just two eyes that's it yeah like a big purple thing big right, purple okay. face yeah alright fair <laughs> enough <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'll go for that. But no, he's not an animal. Parrot. Parrot. Right. Like Grimace. Because and Phil? you like hanging out with pirates so much. I love pirates. Yeah. Phil? Probably a big, stupid Labrador retriever. Mm. Kind of loyal and stupid and quite hard working, but don't really know why. Mm. <laughs> Drools. Yeah. Yeah, I can Stinks. see that. Really enthusiastic, but ultimately annoying. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 You've nailed it there. Yeah. Mm. Labrador. Labrador's good. You. I, Jack, I think you would be more of. I think I'm a blobfish, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> From what we were saying at the start, I'm just like blobfishy. a seal. A seal. Yeah. 
How so? It's just lovable from a distance, but when you get to know them, they're a pain. Yeah. I'm not not having a good day. And that that rendition of Kiss from a Rose you do is something special. (laughs) If I get to marry Heidi Klum, I guess I've not done too badly. You don't. (laughs) (laughs) You get to eat raw fish. Maybe balance a ball on your nose. That's all you get. Eaten by an orca. I'll be clubbed by a Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Great. The blobfish is a deep sea fish of the family Psychorulitidae. Mm. I don't think I did that right, did I? Psychorulitidae. 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 No. I thought I could do it, but I can't. Psychorulitidae. The blobfish is a deep sea fish. It inhabits the deep waters off the coast of mainland Australia and Tasmania, as well as the waters of New Zealand. Blobfish are typically shorter than 30 centimetres. They live at depths of between 600 and 1200 metres, where the pressure is 60 to 120 times as great as at sea level, which would likely make gas bladders inefficient for maintaining buoyancy. Instead, the flesh of the blobfish is primarily a gelatinous mass with a density slightly less than water. Yeah, blobfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's depressingly <laughs> accurate. <isn't> it? <laughs> this allows the fish to float above the sea floor without expending energy on swimming. Oh God! <laughs> its relative lack of muscle is not a disadvantage, as it primarily swallows edible matter that floats in front of it. Yeah, the, the similarities <laughs> just keep coming, don't they? Such as deep ocean crustaceans. Just, just blobbing along, <laughs> not really swimming because you don't really have to because your big so... gelatinous bums just keeping you afloat, it's... just with your mouth open, just waiting for food ah. to get. Just anyway. Blob, blob, blob. There's some old blob food. Blob. <laughs> I wasn't even <laughs> specifically talking me. about you there. <laughs> oh, there'll be some food long in a minute, and if there's not, I'll just starve to death. Blob, blob. They <laughs> <laughs> look so sad. <laughs> This is the really depressed sea animal and all the other, like, the cool look. It's sort of Australia and, like, all these fancy coloured fish. Yeah, look, and this, then is, this, this is, a... is Nemo territory. We're in Nemo territory. All of that crazy turtle stuff's going on it's up there cool stuff. in amongst the coral. I know. And you're just blobbing along. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the blobfish is just blobbing along. Mouth agape. I'm gentle, like, gelatinous butt driven. (sighs) (laughs) Too close to home and too near the bone. (laughs) I'm not even sure you've got any bones. Oh, it's just a shame. Gelatinous mass. All right. Such low self-esteem. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, no, I'm talking about the fish. All oh, right, okay. We are talking about the fish. Due to its low-density flesh, the blobfish's shape is very different when it's out of water. Its unappealing looks have created much discussion in media outlets. People are talking about it. Well, we are, aren't we? We're a media <laughs> outlet. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I feel bad. The musician and author, Michael Hurst, featured a composition titled Blobfish, inspired by the animal on his 2012 album, Album, songs for unusual creatures okay if it's good enough for us it's good enough for him <laughs> in september 2013 the blobfish was voted as the world's ugliest animal based on photographs of a decompressed specimens and adopted as the mascot of the ugly animal preservation society in an initiative dedicated to raising the profile of some of mother nature's most aesthetically challenged children Oh. Oh. Yeah, the blobfishes. I'm feeling for the blobfish because there's some pictures yeah. of what the blobfish might look like when it isn't in its decompressed state, and it's a lot less blobby. 
Like when it's not got his makeup on. Yeah. And it's embarrassed by it. I mean, so you feel sorry for the blobfish now, do you? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Not, I mean, it's I no always feel sorry for the blobfish. Yeah. Oh, really? But it's sorry for you too. You're pitying me. I get it. A talking blobfish appears in the film Men in Black 3, sat on the work surface in the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant along with a couple of other alien food animals. Citation needed. (laughs) (laughs) It happened. I've seen that film and it did happen. And you know what? It's pretty good, Men in Black 3. It wasn't it bad, is, isn't it? it? It's, it's, it's um, all right. Jermaine Clement, J- Jermaine is, Clement is just brilliant in it. If it wasn't for him, I don't think it would be very good. No. But he is in it, so you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to hypothesise mm-hmm. if he wasn't in it, because he is. Yeah. Phew. <laughs> right. So that's okay. the blobfish, which I'm pleased that they're not as ugly as you think they are. From the no, they're very majestic. See, they're majestic. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I'm not going to go as far as to they're majestic, but... They're not as blobby as when they're... I'm really like... I, I know it's all fun and games, but I'm not in a good place and I'm, I'm pretty close to tears right now because of all this, these blobfish jibes. You put them on yourself because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was being... I was making a joke so nobody else had to. Oh, well, we just... We went with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, move on. I'm sorry. Next article, please. I'm not Hopefully sorry the next at all. Article, hopefully the next article will be about wild stallions and we'll make lots of comparisons about those in you. The Sentinelese people. Oh, where is that? The Sentinelese people, also called the Sentinelli or the Sentenin, that's the same... It's the same word. It's the same. Oh, it's got a different spelling, I see that. So they're called the Sentinelli or the Centenelli um, or the Centenelese and or the North Sentinel Islanders are an indigenous people of the Andaman Islands, which is in the Bay of Bengal. Oh. Means nothing to me. So that's that's out India way. The precise population of the Sentinelese, I got it really right the first did, time, yeah. and every time subsequently I've fluffed it up. The precise population of the Sentinelese is not known. Estimates range from lower than 40, although through a median of around 250, and up to a maximum of 500. That's really not knowing something, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. pretty imprecise. In 2001, the Census of India officials recorded 39 individuals, 21 males and 18 females. However, out of necessity, this survey was conducted from a distance and almost certainly does not represent an accurate figure of the population who range over the 72 kilometres squared island. So they're remote. Yep. Kit themselves themselves. Probably not on Twitter. Just put a Twitter poll out. Maybe that would get a better answer. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, well, that's what Twitter polls are for. 2016. Most of (laughs) what is known about the Sentinelese material culture is based on observations during contact attempts in the late 20th century. The Sentinelese maintain an essentially hunter-gatherer society, obtaining their subsistence through hunting, fishing, and collecting wild plants. There is no evidence of any agricultural practices. Their dwellings are either shelter-type huts with no side walls and a floor sometimes laid out with palms and leaves which provide enough space for a family of three or four and their belongings or larger communal dwellings which may be some 12 square meters and are more elaborately constructed with raised floors and partitioned family quarters isn't it incredible that people still live like this and it's amazing it just doesn't seem doesn't seem plausible feasible because this yeah. is this is a part of the world i can recognize on a map there's a map here of showing where the north sentinel island is and yeah it's a bit out in the gulf but it's not that far from 
India and Bangladesh. Yeah, Bangladesh is due north, and I'm guessing that that is geography is not doing wonderful. Yeah, it must be Laos and maybe Cambodia's around there as well, isn't it? Or is that yeah, further? south southeast to Laos, but not that far away. Who cares? There's no one from Laos listening, so feel free to prove us wrong. Send us a postcard. We will send you a postcard back, even if you're sending us the postcard from Laos. Mm, will we do? We will. Who's yeah. paying for this? Is it you, Phil? Yeah, I'm paying for it. Okay, fine. We're not going to get. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty confident we're not going to get any posts from Laos. But prove us wrong. Wiki Shuffle HQ One B Headlands Kettering NN One Five Seven AR. That would be amazing if we did, wouldn't it? Yeah. If we got a postcard from the Sentinelese. A <laughs> <laughs> first contact with humans. Yeah. Humans. I mean, I know they. You know what I mean. I really wanted to know. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're subhuman. <laughs> Just you know. <laughs> Just normal uh, ones. It's a little use bit the postal what you said. system. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, they can't be offended. They're not listening. No, they are Twitter. But that would be good. Uh, they were one of the few people in the world that got to know what our special postcard looks like. Yes. Even I don't know what it looks like yet. No, it's good. Well, I say it's good. You made it. Because I made it. You're not that good. Don't pet me down, blobfish. <laughs> oh no, we're stopping doing oh. that. We're comparing. We're comparing Jack to the Sentinelese now. <laughs> In what way? Backwards, no knowledge of advanced <laughs> metal work. Advanced metal work is unknown, as raw materials on the island are extremely rare. It has been observed, however, that they have made adroit use of metal objects which have washed up or been left behind on their shores, having some ability at cold smithing and sharpening iron and incorporating it into weapons and other items. Which, to be fair, I don't know if I could do that. No. I mean, I could probably incorporate it into other items. I could, you know, gaffer tape it up a bit, but I don't think that I could do any smithing. No, I, d- I, d- so, I wouldn't know where to start. So well done, the Sentinelese. You know more about cold smithing than anybody around this desk. Mm-hmm. For example, in the late 1980s, two international container ships ran aground on the island's external coral reefs. The Sentinelese retrieved several items of iron from the vessels. Vague, but cool. If you're living in a prehistoric society, because that's what this is, this is a prehistoric society because history only starts when you start being able to write things down and record history. So these are prehistoric people living today. And then two container ships just turn up at your house. That's an alien invasion, isn't it? Yeah. That would be just mind-blowing. It makes me, in a way, kind of jealous. I imagine that their infant mortality rates wouldn't make me feel that jealous. And I bet their Wi-Fi is not great. But they're still on 3G. <laughs> Shocking. Their weaponry consists of javelins and a flat bow with high accuracy against human-sized targets up to nearly 10 metres away. At least three varieties of arrows, apparently for fishing and hunting, and untipped ones for shooting warning shots have been documented. Citation needed, but that's pretty cool. Mm. I'm sure I've seen footage of these people from... I can't remember where. Is it an aerial shot you're thinking of? No, like, it's from a... It's from a boat that's just off the coast and you can see them all milling around um, but if you go anywhere near them they just fire arrows at you so you have to yeah. keep your distance but I'm fa- I mean unless there's other, I'm sure there's other tribes like this mm. um, so maybe it's a different one but I'm fairly sure I find it very strange that there are tribes that can be so uh, it's the same way for like uh, are we out to Maskmos? Inuits Inuits that they refuse to like, yeah. Anything. But they know it exists. They just don't want to be involved in it. Are you it's thinking strange. of the Amish? And them as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't understand why they would not want to. They just like God and stuff. I think they like God and stuff. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. just interesting. God, gabbed about God. But if if you can use stuff to make your barn go up quicker, <laughs> surely that's surely that's good. What like homes <laughs> under the hammer or <laughs> yeah, DIY SOS? Yeah, B and Q. 
Um, yeah, there's some there's some really interesting moral questions here mm. because these people are living in these communities and they're getting diseases and they're dying. Mm. And the children that are being born into these communities are yeah. missing out on longevity and health and security that could be offered by the modern world. Fuck them. Is not the position of Wiki Shuffle Podcast. <laughs> That's not. But that is the position of the world, really. Well, it is because it. Although this is a really extreme example, a similar case would be traveller children, do you make them go to school? It's the same well, thing. It's... You've got a, a sub-community that's trying to leave, but leave its life by traditional means, hmm. but existing within a global world that has a set of rules and a set of capabilities that they're opting out of at the detriment of innocent people of children that are hmm. going to die that otherwise wouldn't because the society could intervene. Is that morally okay? Do we have an obligation to those children to get the medicine and to get make sure that they're well fed? I'd say it's not really a question of morals. Just look at our involvement in the Middle East and see how this kind of thing goes down. Do you swan in to help everyone out? Do you turn a blind eye to everything that's happening in the world and just close your borders down tight? Is that what you're suggesting? Because that's the natural progression, is that you say, well, it's actually only about my immediate culture that I'm a part of, to hell with the rest of the world. And yeah, these are really extreme mm. examples, but it extenuates to a much more specific situation of actually it's only my immediate family. I care about and law just disintegrates at that point and society and government doesn't mean anything yeah. I don't have an answer to any of these questions no no one does thankfully that's the, that's the prob- it's not Wiki Shuffle's podcast's responsibility to come up with an answer but it's no. interesting isn't it and it's interesting mm. to talk about it because this is why politics and things like that are so fascinating to me anyway because nobody's right and nobody's wrong it's just this big grey no, Trump is definitely wrong. Oh, he's Trump's definitely wrong. wrong. He's, yeah. a, he's and the other maniac. one, Ted Cruz is wrong. Yeah, yeah. he's also a maniac. And all the other re- Republican candidates, yeah. but just a little bit less wrong. No, yeah. they're pretty close. The more, the, no, no, some of them are a lot. The more, more you go to the middle, it all gets a bit. Ben gross. Carson. Oh, the neuroscientist but, guy. I said <laughs> no, they're, no, they're all wrong. But there's different degrees of wrong. But he thinks that the pyramids were designed as grain silos. They were. <laughs> What else is he... not the position oh. of Wiki Shuffle Podcast. <laughs> what else did he say before we move on? He said, ben Carson said something else really ridiculous as well. I can't remember what it was about women. See, are, are the, the, the um, are the Sentinelese? Sen- are they sitting at home thinking we are living without knowing about Donald Trump? Look at these poor bastards off this island knowing about Donald Trump. Do we intervene and help them by killing Donald Trump? There's I an, don't know where a, I'm going with there's this. There's an argument for it, though. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump will he'll, he'll fall down some stairs. Or something. Oh, I hope so. Can you put? He's 69. David Bowie is 69, and yeah. your man Alan Rickman. Your man. Your man. That's just not fair, is it? Right. So, what do the Sentinelese eat? Because it's probably not McDonald's. No. Food consists primarily of plants gathered in the forest. Coconuts, which are frequently found on the beaches as flotsam. So they can't even grow the coconuts, they just find them just washed up. Mm. Pigs and presumably other wildlife, presumably. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> they keep themselves to themselves. They've got their Facebook profile on private. Other wildlife, apart from sea turtles, is limited to some smaller birds and invertebrates. Wild honey is known to be collected and the Sentinelese use a kind of rake to pull down branches to gather fruit or nuts, such as sapodilla and pandanus. I don't know what either of those are. See, if I was in Sounds this delicious. and I was raking up some lovely nuts or whatever it is, I'd be like, look, 
Guys, this is stupid. We, we could just go down the road and there's like a Burger King and it will all be fine. Let's just do that instead. It's, it's, it doesn't come across to me that there's a religious thing. This is just their way of life. Well, but they, it's all they know. And we're about to talk about incidents of contact. So if you literally don't know anything else, that everyone else on the planet is an alien to mm. you, that you have no concept of understanding them. What I'm describing is very much the plot of George of the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Always comes back to George of the Jungle with you. Yeah, often. Yeah. Incidents of contact. In January 1880, an armed British expedition to the island led by 20-year-old Maurice Vidal Portman. 20 years old? You can't be leading an armed expedition at the age of 20. No. 1880. Different time. Old man. <laughs> he was the local colonial administrator, and he arrived to conduct a survey of the island and take a prisoner in accordance with <laughs> British policy to pacify unfriendly tribes at the time. <laughs> Sounds like it. a wonderful plan <laughs> my god I'm it's amazing how our foreign policy has always been so flawless oh <laughs> they're giving just... us a bit of jip mm, take one prisoner and <laughs> um, this isn't oh god what do we do grab that one maybe it'll be all right this is policy <laughs> written by somebody in a room in london oh God. So the policy was to abduct a member of the tribe, treat them well and give them gifts, and then release them back to the tribe <laughs> to demonstrate friendliness. <laughs> Which, that only sounds like half of the plan. Mm. <laughs> Portman... What does that mean? Give them gifts. Like a HMV voucher. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was the 1880s. It probably would have been our price then. Yeah, probably. That was a good joke. I like <laughs> that joke. <laughs> Portman's expedition of the island is believed to be the first by the outsiders. While the Sentinelese tended to disappear into the jungle whenever outsiders were spotted approaching, Portman's expedition found an elderly couple and four children after several days. They were taken prisoner and brought to Port Blair. The elderly couple became ill and died. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Probably from contracting diseases which they did not have immunity for. The four children were then returned to the island, given gifts and released... But the gifts were like trading off for the dead old people. That doesn't, that's not going to make mm. the gifts seem good. Don't know, slinkies are pretty cool. Slinkies are pretty cool. The children then disappeared into the jungle. After this incident, the British did not try to contact the Sentinelese again and instead focused on other tribes. So that's it, it's, nothing's changed. <laughs> that is us. <laughs> yeah. like, let's go in here. Oh, we fucked that up. Let's try another one. Let's just leave that for just now. Just get another voucher. Yeah, let's just quietly move away, back out slowly, <laughs> and we'll try it again somewhere else. So that's it. Nothing else happens for another 87 years. So it's not until 1967 when the Indian government began a series of contact expeditions to the island. Isn't that amazing, though? Like, if you think from their perspective, some alien race comes to the island, steals six people, only returns four. Yeah. And then by the time it gets around to 1967, it's, it's folklore. Yeah. It'll be like, oh, so... You've maybe got some of the bits of mirror left. Yeah, but, gen like, and they would be, like, alien mm -hmm. things. It's, well, I just, I don't know, it's, it's crazy. It doesn't say how old the children think? were, so it doesn't, so there's yeah. no, no um, idea of how reliable their account of it would be. If they were really little children, then they wouldn't necessarily believe what they were saying or have the language to communicate yeah. what had happened to mm -hmm. them. That's how stories of anal probing, that's where they come from. It, no, it's, and this was colonial Britain, so they were probably anally probed. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1967... <laughs> 
1967, the Indian government began a series of contact, de- contact expeditions to the island. The programme was managed by the Director of Tribal Welfare and anthropologist T.N. Pandit. The first expedition, headed by Pandit, included armed police and naval officers. The Sentinelese retreated into the jungle and the expedition failed to make contact with any of them. During these expeditions, an Indian Navy vessel would anchor outside the coral reefs and send small boats to approach the beaches. And while keeping a distance, the crew would drop various gifts into the water to wash up on shore. If the Sentinelese fled to the jungle, the parties might land on shore and drop off the gifts before leaving. On the 29th of March 1970, a research party of Indian anthropologists, which included Pandit, found themselves cornered on the reef flats between North Sentinel and Constance Island. An eyewitness recorded the following from his vantage point on a boat lying off the beach. Quite a few discarded their weapons and gestured to us to throw the fish. The women came out of the shade to watch our antics. A few men came and picked up the fish. They appeared to be gratified, but they did not seem to be much softening of their hostile attitude. They all began shouting some incomprehensible words. We shouted back and gestured to indicate that we wanted to be friends. The tension did not ease. (laughs) At this moment, a strange thing happened. A woman paired off with a warrior and sat on the sand in a passionate embrace. This act was being repeated by other women, each claiming a warrior for herself, a sort of community mating as it were. Thus did the militant group diminish. This continued for quite some time, and when the tempo of this frenzied dance of desire abated, the couples retired into the shade of the jungle. However, some warriors were still on guard. We got close to the shore and threw some more fish, which were immediately retrieved by a few youngsters. It was well past noon, and we headed back to the ship. Mm. Like a big swingers party. Well, it sounds like the island. (laughs) It it sounds like that scene outside a nightclub where the alpha males are all fronting off, and their girlfriends are just leave it. Leave it, Gary! <laughs> Gary, it ain't, it ain't worth it! <laughs> Sounds exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Sorry to any Garys that are listening. <laughs> or any women. <laughs> in the spring of 1974, a National Geographic film crew came to the island in what was one of the most unsuccessful expeditions made on the island. North Sentinel was visited by a team of anthropologists filming a documentary entitled Man in Search of Man. The team was accompanied by armed police officers and a National Geographic photographer. When the motorised boat broke through the barrier reefs, locals emerged from the jungle. The Sentinelese responded with a curtain of arrows. The boat landed at a point on the coast out of range of the arrows and the police, dressed in jackets with padded armour, landed and left gifts in the sand. A miniature plastic car, some coconuts, a live pig tied, a doll and aluminium cookware. The policeman returned to the boat and waited to see the locals' reaction to the gifts. The reaction was to launch another round of arrows. (laughs) (laughs) One of which struck the documentary director in the left thigh. The man who wounded the director withdrew and laughed proudly, sitting in the shade while others speared, then buried the pig and the doll. (laughs) (laughs) Afterwards... Afterwards, everyone left, taking with them only the coconuts and the aluminium cookware. That's a, a level of cynicism that I can respect. That's also... <laughs> I'm not eating that pig. <laughs> I am going to bury that fucking pig. <laughs> but I'll take the coconuts. Thanks. That's, but that's also... Well, they're in tamper-proof group... packaging, aren't they? That's Sorry, true. carry on. It's, it's, like, it's a group of people that are saying, I, I, I really don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> Just fuck off. I wonder if we learnt the lesson. Oh, no. Of course we didn't. <laughs> 
20 years later, we go and have another go. In the early 1990s, the Sentinelese began allowing boats to come closer to the shore and sometimes greeted them unarmed. However, after a few minutes, the Sentinelese would warn them off by making menacing gestures and firing arrows without arrowheads. In 1996, the Indian government ended the contact expeditions following a series of hostile encounters resulting in several deaths in a similar program practiced with the Jarawa people of the South and Middle Andaman Islands and because of the danger of introducing diseases. Fair enough. Hmm. The Sentinelese appear to have emerged relatively unscathed from the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, apparently managing to reach high ground. Three days following the tsunami, an Indian naval helicopter was sent to check on them and drop food on the beach. It was warned away by a Sentinelese warrior who emerged from the jungle and brandished a bow and arrow. In 2006, Sentinelese archers killed two fishermen who were fishing illegally for mud crabs within range of the island. Their boat's improvised anchor failed to prevent it from being carried away by current while they were asleep. The boat drifted into the shallows of the island where they were killed. The Sentinelese buried them in shallow graves. An Indian Coast Guard helicopter that was sent to retrieve the bodies was driven off by Sentinelese warriors who fired a volley of arrows. Oh, I see consistent. a pattern emerging. Yeah, they're <laughs> definitely consistent. Bernard Matthews Limited. Turkey wow. man. Beautiful. Yep. Beautiful. 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 Turkeys. Beautiful. Because of their big booties. I think that's where that's that what came you from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 50, 50 episodes. 50 episodes. We're going to do jokes about turkey bums. That's what we're going to do. Bernard Matthews Holding Limited, trading as Bernard Matthews Limited, is a British farming and food products business headquartered in Great Witchingham, Norfolk, England, which specialises in turkey products. Excellent turkey products, might I add. I don't really get it. Well, what's your what's your top three Bernard Matthews products? I don't know any. Don't... Yeah, no any. Phil, other than turkey. Well, oh yeah, the vegetarian, vegetarian range is lacking. Is he, is he a little he bit Twizzler man? Yeah, I think turkey Twizzlers would be in there at number three for me. But obviously, you can't get them anymore because of Jamie Oliver, the prick. Oh, he is. Um, can you? But they were delicious. No, because apparently they were full of such a high amount of crap that it's just like they weren't just too unhealthy food. to even be on the market. Yeah. Okay, um, but they were delicious, and I always look forward to turkey Twizzler day buy, at school. And yet, you can still buy hot dogs. You can still buy hot dogs because they're delicious. Two, I'd say are probably, ooh, that's tricky. Golden drummers, because you know the golden drummers, they're in the shape of a turkey leg. Oh, I know these, yeah, But yeah. It's, it's the greyest meat you'll ever see wrapped in, um, in breadcrumbs, and oh my God, it's good. Really? Oh, I mean, it's the filthiest food you can imagine, but it's tasty hmm. in a, in a like, low-class way. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything other from you. No. So what's in at number one then? So we've got oh, the low class options out of the way. What's oh, the high class options? turkey burgers. I think turkey burgers will be number four for me because they're very good. Just the standard turkey burger. But number one, turkey dinosaurs. Turkey D's, it's got to be. Is that not You just... get four different dinosaur shapes. You've got your stegosaurus, your triceratops, your uh, T-Rex... And another one. Are they to scale? <laughs> Diplodocus or something. Are they to scale? Because you get one massive... No, they're, they're, quite, they're quite small. They're like the size of a turkey dinosaur. What do you... What <laughs> are do they you, identical to yeah. a turkey drumstick, but just in a different shape? Basically, <coughs> it's the same weird grey meat uh-huh. inside breadcrumbs. So, yeah, it's the same as the... It's dinosaur Same shapes. as the golden drummers, same as the turkey. Yeah, it's all the same. What do you accompany uh, your dinosaurs with? Uh, 
I mean, traditionally, I think they're a sort of a potato smiles or, or alpha bites. <laughs> Maybe alpha bites would be the thing you would go oh, for. Christ. And per, I'm personally more a fan of um, spaghetti hoops rather than beans if you're going to go for a, a fruity a, option. A bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> tomatoes are fruit. I mean, I can't argue with that. <laughs> One in five a day in a tin of tiny yep. spaghetti and sausage. Uh, yeah, there that's you go. True. Fun fact. So that's how I normally get my five a day. Uh-huh. Wow. But for me, I would often, I'd, I'd often go for potato scones, tatty scones. If I like tatty scones. Yeah, you like tatty scones. So Corby. Very Corby, very Scottish. Um, but that's that's the way I was raised on turkey D's and tatty scones. <laughs> so that's what I would do. And spaghetti hoops. But you know what? I think they would be good um, cooked the night before and then left cold and have them in a sarni the next day. What the dinosaurs? Turkey dinosaur butty. I reckon that'd be good. Same as a fish finger butty, that's, that's good. Ah, I don't, yeah, I'm not, not cold, cold fish fingers. fingers. Cold fish fingers, fine. No, yeah. no yeah. I do not get fish fingers. I don't get them, I've never got them, I don't like them. You've never got fish fingers? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the road you're going down. So that, that's my rundown, that's my top three uh-huh. Bernard Matthews products. And they're all delicious and I would really like some right now. But Please you can't have a Twizzle. Don't ever invite me round to dinner at your house. Should I bring some next time? No. Just to show you. I know like, what the I've grey meat. The grey meat. No, I can imagine grey meat. I can mm. I can picture what oh dearie me. I'm gonna have a look at the ingredients while you read the article. I'll look forward to that then. Founded by Bernard Matthews in 1950, it has at least 56 farms throughout Norfolk, Suffolk, and Lincolnshire, farming nearly seven million turkeys each year. It's a lot of turkeys. Mm. It's British Turkey, Norfolk, obviously. Or Suffolk or Lincolnshire, we've covered that. Okay. I wasn't listening to that because I was looking at pictures of turkey dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> no artificial colours, flavours or preservatives. That's why it's so great. Stick that up, yeah? Uh, ready in 20 minutes. Uh, Mum and Dad's <laughs> reviews it has on the website. Apparently this was fantastic fun to make and the children ate a lot. That's from Linella Angels from the World of Food Art. <laughs> and uh, and in one turkey dinosaur which is you know you need to have three to make it anything approaching a meal um, there is 10% of your recommended daily allowance of fat 6.9 grams that's not one, like, one that's gram not saturates yeah. one gram saturates so it's not yeah that's not it's not appalling a lot of salt as well 7% See, of your, your salt I remember the Twizzlers and I remember even as a child thinking this ain't this ain't doing any good. <laughs> <laughs> There's no good happening here because there was like a the consistency. For it was, anyone it was that, so yeah, squidgy, it was squidgy. <laughs> For anyone that's not British, just just type in Turkey Twizzlers on Google Image Search, and you will be treated to some delicious pictures. Do you remember them, Phil? Honestly, no, I really? genuinely don't. They I look remember, like pig's tails. I, I remember the turkey drummers that you're talking about. Mm, I'm, familiar, I'm aware yeah. of the existence of the dinosaurs. Turkey Twizzlers, I only know through Jamie Oliver, but I don't know. I've ever seen one. I've certainly never eaten one. They no. they were a mistake. No, so I like them. How did that? How does, what's the manufacturing process for a turkey? You just get a turkey. Know, it's strange, isn't it? Stick. It's like a coil yeah, a corkscrew of... in it. It's yeah, like it's a like a core, and then pull it out, and yeah. then you've yeah. got a twizzle. Yeah. Gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll investigate that while you read the article. Uh, thanks. It also has poultry production operations in Germany and Hungary. The company breeds and rears both indoor and free-range turkeys on its farms, and it is integrated agricultural business. Oh God, this is awful. This is from a Daily Mail article, so I don't know how true it is, but apparently it's not entirely clear how Turkey Twizzlers came into existence. 
but food industry folklore has it that someone noticed that a machine punching out the imitation drumsticks that they use for golden drummers um, from sheets of reconstituted turkey meat left behind strips that curled up when they were heated. <sighs> hey presto, a delicacy was born. For around two years they were on school menus, but concerns grew after test reveals that they contained 21.2% fat when cooked. 21.2% fat. Yeah, because these are designed to be deep fried, aren't they? Yeah, oh yeah. Gross. It had 40 ingredients, including just 34% turkey. Wow. Plus water, pork, pork fat, rusk, which is delicious, wheat starch, <laughs> three sweeteners, including the controversial additive aspartame, which everyone's like, oh, you can't drink Diet Coke because of aspartame, have a real proper Coke. So, no, fuck off. Hardened vegetable oil and colourings and flavourings. So that's pretty gross, really. Yeah, they are pretty But gross. I would still eat a plate of them if they were in front of me. I honestly remember Maybe as a out child, of nostalgia, but... I thought, mum... You're killing me. <laughs> Let's do this to me, Mum. Fuck's sake, Mum. So there are some. There's a, a plotted history of Bernard Matthews Limited here, formed in 1950. In 1960, Bernard Matthews was entered in the Guinness Book of Records as the biggest turkey farmer in Europe. <laughs> Big accolade, everyone. Wants. Yeah. In 2000, they successfully fought off a takeover bid from U.S. food giant Sarah Lee. Ooh, I'm really hungry. Thank you, Mmm. I'd go for drummers see i'd go for dinosaurs but i can't really buy turkey dinosaurs because you just look like a bit of a joke no ridiculous food i could pretend to have kids i don't <laughs> think you should ever say i should pretend to have kids <laughs> what? in any situation how elaborate would the pretense be are you gonna hire some children i might <laughs> hire some children or with you yeah um or i might just hire some um really short people uh-huh. and dress them up as kids um how far would i take the pretense um so I can see you just going to the freezer and getting some, some turkey dinosaurs, getting to the checkout, and then going to the checkout person. <laughs> Kids say the stuff they eat. And then... Yeah, is, is that we, we all do that, do? though, don't we? When we're... Like, it's a little bit of theatre. Like when you order a massive pi- uh, pizza for yourself and you're, you're home alone, but you might open the door and go, oh, it's... Or just before you get to the door, you'll shout, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> just so the pizza man doesn't think this guy is a fucking <laughs> fat bastard. <laughs> Wow. You can't do that. So that the pizza delivery man doesn't judge you. Doesn't judge you. I've revealed too much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <sighs> so my life's going pretty well. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I, uh, uh, speaking of checkout faux pas, <laughs> I made the mistake of saying hello to a checkout opera operator too early. Um, oh, earlier no. this week we got the timings all wrong he hadn't quite finished serving the person before and so I did the hello dance that you have to do when yeah. talking to, but I'd done it too soon he wasn't ready to say hello back yet what do you do then do you say hello again when the time's right do you rely on him to make the operation I, it was all very confused I just pretend I was foreign and he knew he knew how confused he did not know how to react with this he was in exactly the same predicament as I was in mm. and I feel really bad for putting him on the spot like that I think we can put this in the first world problems pile yeah I think we probably can <laughs> so like when you when you go to the door and the pizza man's there, do you like open it and go, <laughs> yeah, that was funny, just a minute. <laughs> yeah, I've go, done it like one. Later, I've done it about one. <laughs> see you later, mate. Oh, yeah. Because um, there have been occasions where I've ordered pizza, but I've ordered a pizza 
But like, if I'm in one, if I'm having one of my episodes and I just want to hide away for a week, I'm going to order like two pizzas and I'll put one in the fridge and have it like over the next few days. Yeah, there's economies of scale to be had. Of course. But you can't do that. You can't just present yourself as if it's all for me tonight. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously that, that just paints you in no. a really bad light. You have to do that thing from Home Alone where you rig up some dancers yeah. in the window that you pull on a <laughs> yeah. string. I've done that, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Put the music up really loud. <laughs> This party's banging. <laughs> maybe, maybe overcompensate. Oh no, I'm not sure this is going to be enough pizza for the size of party I'm having. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> he ordered the spicy one. And of course, all the pizzas that I've ordered will be meat feasts. So it's like the guy knows. The guy knows it's all for me. No one just orders three meat feasts. That's insane. <laughs> Apart from me, because I do. Yeah. Oh, God. And he knows that it's the third time he's been to that house that week as well. Yeah. I don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Yeah? As long as you tip well, he'll be fine. Oh, no, I don't tip. <laughs> Jesus. Do you tip Obviously. pizza people? Yeah. Yeah? I do. Uh, I do if I have coins. It, it doesn't I don't have sound coins. like you do. If I don't have, like, some change handy, I'm not that bothered. You round it up. I do, anyway. If there's any American oh, listeners, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. If there's up. any American listeners right now, they are judging you really hard. So we should we should make it clear that it's not really a thing that yeah, a lot of people isn't. do here. So what? I nominate black actors for film <laughs> awards that I give out. So shut up, America. <laughs> which which black actors have you nominated? Um. <laughs> can't, all of a sudden can't think of any black actor apart from Morgan Freeman <laughs> which yeah. is and I seem to remember in an earlier conversation today you criticising the quality of his voice yeah I think he's rubbish um, you know I haven't seen that many films in the last year but you've uh, made the boy... sure the ones you have seen have all been just white, white. The, the boy from um, Thingy the Netflix Beast one, of no Beast Nation. of No Nation, should definitely have been nominated. He should have been nominated for Best Actor. And Idris Elba. And they're just two black people off the top of my head. So, <laughs> there you go, America, look how easy it is. Wasn't off the very top of your head, was it? I haven't it? even looked at my letterbox to count to remember all the films I've seen this year. They're just there. Yeah. And it was off... You panicked me. Name a Asian actor, quick. Go. Yeah. And not the guy out of Breakfast and Tiffany's. <laughs> no, that, that wouldn't count. Um... Ken Young, that sounds made up. No, he's a real guy. Yeah, oh, community. To be honest, I can't think of anybody any others <laughs> because they don't get on TV because America's racist. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I'm with Danny DeVito. Um, yeah, I need to look that up. Apparently, Danny DeVito said something cool today, and uh, we, but he does we love Danny yeah. DeVito anyway. I love and him. I'm looking forward to looking that up so that I can just want to be Danny DeVito mm. a bit more. I've got the height. Anyway, so. Bernard Matthews. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 50. Hey, 50. 50 episodes. Mm-hmm. Bernard Matthews has three main operating companies. The United Kingdom-based Bernard Matthews Limited, the Germany-based Bernard Matthews Oldenburg, and the Hungary-based Saga Foods. Bernard Matthews Limited is based in the east of England and produces a range of fresh, cooked, and frozen turkey products, which it sells across the UK. It employs around 2,200 staff and farms around 7 million turkeys per annum. It has 56 turkey farms and two production sites located in Norfolk and Suffolk. Bernard Matthews Limited is Assured Food Standards Red Tractor accredited and its production sites have ISO 14001 accreditation. Hooray! Hooray! ISO! Jeff Halliwell has been Managing Director of Bernard Matthews Limited since June 2009. Well done, Jeff Halliwell. Hmm. 
The company produces a range of cooked, fresh and frozen British turkey. This is quite repetitive, this bit. Including <laughs> products such as oven-ready whole birds, joints, cooked, reformed meats and meal accompaniments, which accounts for over 90% of the business. Bernard Matthews also produces chicken products which are made with meat sourced from partners in South America. Oh, that's nice. So if you're buying Bernard Matthews chicken, then it's God knows how that was reared. Mm. Bernard Matthews <laughs> Farms produces turkey for leading UK grocery supermarket chains for use under their own retail brands and also for businesses supplying the out-of-home food service market. Mm. Under the Golden Norfolk Turkey brand, Bernard Matthews Farms provides a frozen turkey range including whole birds in a variety of sizes, plus crowns and joints, basted and stuffed. New products under the Farms brands introduced in 2009 included several new seasonings and an apricot and date stuffing. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, no, wait. Ooh. <laughs> Me and you, we both like meat products. Mm, I like meat products. We Very love much. a steak or we love a burger. Any description of meat products is gross. <laughs> yeah. Trying to describe how any of this whole thing works... It sounds gross. You're not going to get an argument from me on that I know, vegetarian man. You see in The Revenant when Leonardo DiCaprio cuts open that horse and pulls all of the the horse out of it. Yeah. (laughs) I felt at that moment that he he wasted that meat because he just threw it. There was no sign of him cooking it up. or even The horse had just died. Tuck in. You're hungry. I think he probably did. No, he just went to bed. He just climbed inside the horse and went to bed. It was Spoilers. a bit poorly at the time. Did he really climb inside the horse and go to bed? Yeah, he yeah. used it as a sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. nice. This film, everybody tells me this film is good, but it's just... It's not particularly. <laughs> See, yeah, it's all right. Anyway, Bernard <laughs> Matthews, Bernard <laughs> Matthews, sorry. Tune in to our appearances on Fail Critics in a couple yeah. of weeks' time and we'll talk and about films. me and Phil and Chris were on Pick Flick this week. Is it out? Last week, last uh, week. I yeah, don't sorry. Know. Yeah, I'm last not quite week. sure how it falls. It's out. Yeah, get on Pick a Flick. Yeah. We're talking about documentaries. So if you want to hear us talk about films that don't include dead horses. And if you want to hear us talk about Wikipedia articles, just, just wait a minute. <laughs> wait a good while. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get back to it. Eventually, that might happen. Controversies. Oh, 50 episodes in, we know that the controversies section is always our favourite. Always my favourite. Turkey Twizzlers. One of Bernard Matthews' formed meat products, the Turkey Twizzler, became a subject of debate in January 2005 when they were singled out for particular criticism by the celebrity chef, Jamie Oliver, in his television series, Jamie's School Dinners. The product... Yeah, damn you, Jamie, caring about the health of our nation. Too late for some. The product became an emblem... What? (laughs) (laughs) I nodded sagely in agreement there and then I realised you were talking about me. (laughs) Fuck you. The product became an emblem of the mass-produced processed food that Oliver wanted to remove from school meals. I hate that term. I hate the use of the term processed food as if that is bad. Mm. When there is no food, in, unless you are eating your food by kneeling down on the ground and eating grass, there is no food you eat that is not processed. A process is anything being done to any other thing, and that includes Every possible thing you can mm. eat. I think the only thing with, with those sorts of things, the only thing that guarantees that something's delicious is if it says mechanically recovered. That's the sign of quality. We're, we're coming at this from a different angle. Hmm. You're coming at it from the angle that everything people call processed foods is delicious. Mm. I'm coming at it from a syntactical point of view. Oh, syntactical. Yeah. Right. Whereby the word 
It's like talking about chemicals. Everything's chemicals. That doesn't they're not meaning anything. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, anything involving diet um, and nutrition ends up like that. Yeah. Detoxing. It's yeah. not even a scientific word. And I'm definitely qualified to talk about this because I am the pinnacle of human health. Mm-hmm. We, we have it down, us three. The product became an emblem of the mass-produced processed food that Oliver wanted to remove from school meals. In the wake of the programme, several major catering organisations announced that they would no longer serve turkey Twizzlers in schools. Bernard Matthews discontinued the product in 2005, despite the popular demand from home users of the product. Citation needed. (laughs) Although, I think we could now use this podcast as the citation for that statement. Yeah, I'm a home, home person. Home what? Home cookers. Home user. Home user. <laughs> yeah, like, I use a, home. like a junkie. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard, kind of my, my vice. Bernard Matthews ceased production of the product to avoid any further criticism and negative press coverage. Animal welfare. On the 7th of September 2006, two contract workers were convicted of animal cruelty after being covertly filmed by a member of staff from Hillside Animal Sanctuary playing baseball with live turkeys. The two men were sentenced to 200-hour community service, which was later criticised for being derisory by some animal welfare organisations. That is, isn't it? 200 hours. That's pretty measly. I'd say so, yeah. It doesn't send a particularly good message. Because I know I love eating. Okay. I know I love eating all this, but there's a line. And they've crossed it by playing baseball with those turkeys. That's good that you've established where that line is. Mm. That's where my line is. Palmer's and Allen's defence lawyer, Simon Nichols, stated that their actions were part of a culture at the Norfolk plant, describing the conditions in the unit as appalling, and said, you can see why people move to an organic, more open type of farming. An RSPCA inspector said it was the worst case of cruelty to farm animals of which he had heard. A vet, after seeing the footage, said it was the most hideous and blatant abuse he had seen in 25 years. In response, the company took out a newspaper advertisement saying that the men can concerned with subcontractors and that none of its employees abused livestock. A spokesman stated that they were committed to the highest standards of animal welfare, unless it's subcontractors, in which case, what can they do? Yeah, no, yeah. Their hands are tied at that point. They've done all they can do by mm. subcontracting this work. I'd like to be a vegetarian, but then I don't want to. Mm. <laughs> so it's really difficult. It's a really difficult... And that level of insight was brought to you by Wikishuffle Podcast. <laughs> Avian flu outbreak. The 2007 Bernard Matthews H5N1 outbreak was an occurrence of avian flu in England that began on 30th of January 2007. The infection was caused by the H5N1 subtype of the influenza A virus and occurred at one of Bernard Matthews' farms in Holton, Suffolk. A range of precautions were instituted, including a large cull of turkeys, the imposition of segregation zones, and a disinfection programme for the plant. It emerged in a highly critical report from DEFRA that there was a series of biosecurity failings at the Holton plants, some of which had been drawn to the company's attention in the past. Though the cause of the outbreak has not been determined, Bernard Matthews regularly transported turkeys and turkey products between the UK and its plant in Hungary, and the H5N1 bird flu strains found in Hungary and Britain were effectively genetically identical. Consequences of the outbreak included bans by a number of countries on the importation of poultry from Britain, a sharp fall in sales of Bernard Matthews products resulting in workers being laid off, and a collapse of confidence in the brand. Unless you jack, in which case Mmm, dinosaurs. Strength to strength. Bye, bye, bye. 
We hope you've enjoyed our 50th episode. 50! This is how Hitler celebrated his 50th birthday. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah, good callback. But all that just said is celebrating that. That's the kind of stuff that makes me ashamed to do this. Why? Because it's an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment. Beat me to that by like a second. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, I can't stand up to that level of wit. Anyway, you two fuckbags. I know we like to keep our listeners involved in our post. We do. So, well, I don't know like, if anyone cares, but we're we going like to tell you. We like to keep you abreast of the post we receive, because God knows we bang on about wanting it often enough. So when it arrives, you want to know. So you can send us some stuff, anything you like. Mm-hmm. To Wikishuffle HQ 1B Headlands Kettering NN157 ER, just like fan and friend of the show Amy Walker, who has sent us a wonderful drawing. Which and is, it's already framed. It's I've, framed. I've already framed it. It's ready to go on the wall, although I've not actually put a nail in the wall yet. And it is a drawing of the hippocampus. We've been quite quiet on the activity of the hippocampus. Has there been any developments, Chris? It's all hush hush. It's all hush hush. <laughs> you can't get away with that. It's, you said you'd have a storyboard this week. It's all hush hush. I'm like yeah, Spielberg. Yeah, you're, you're not like Spielberg. You're in no be, way like Spielberg. I'm you've exactly got to be the contractually same. tied. No, I understand. Hmm. It's an effective marketing ploy. Look how well J.J. Abrams has yeah. done with the new Cloverfield film. I'm probably film. more like J.J. than I am Spielberg. Mm, yeah. If I was going to well, compare myself to anyone. Because of how contemporary you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm angry <laughs> but it's a great drawing for it is it is it's a, yeah, quite a talented cartoonist so we've it's got it's on our Twitter it is on our Twitter I couldn't contain myself I had to tweet it straight away uh, so we've got the, the hippo of Hippocampus and there is Medulla the Oblongator mm-hmm. is there Oblongator too. yeah she's, she's there uh, and she's given Hippocampus a motto which isn't in Latin and Chris would you like to read out the Hippocampus motto yes, I can. Hippocampus prestigious school learn about whiskey and stuff that's good <laughs> that's good inspiring that is... it inspires the students yeah. There was some debate about what uh, the hippo was holding in the picture. We thought it might have been a Twinkie. It's clearly a diploma. But it's clearly, it's a, clearly diploma. a diploma. We, 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 we were just seeing what we wanted at, yeah. to see. Yeah, Jack thought that it was a Twinkie. <laughs> the, 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 one, the one little thing, the little secret I'll give away about Hippocampus. Okay, good. A little, it's 50th episode. They deserve a teaser. The hippo is called Daisy. Okay, good. And there is a bow. That's what I'd say. Daisy has a bow. Yeah. You love this, don't you? No, I really I love it. I really don't love it. I really don't. I have to say, it has been our most popular episode in (laughs) ages, the Hippocampus episode. And it makes me so happy. It has captured the hearts of the nation. (laughs) And it makes me really proud of of your accomplishments. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Right, let's go. (laughs) That's enough. Episode 50 in the bank. 50! Hey. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us on our first 50 episodes. It has been a hoot and a half. It has. It absolutely has. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Phil. And And goodbye from (laughs) Blobfish. (laughs) (laughs) Pricks. Bye.
I did really intend to get some party poppers to pull. Uh, I was I thinking forgot. that as well I yesterday. Forgot to get party poppers. Well, I didn't forget. I just woke up really late. Maybe I can find a party popper sound effect to put on. And two iced buns with a cherry on top. <laughs> okay, well, I got that, so that's good. <laughs> <it. laughs> so, I'm going to put that at the end there. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 